I'm Anna Marie Cox, and I have gods to kill. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and I'm such a fucking optimist, it's a miracle I've lived this long. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of brinksmanship and unconscious inference. Today, we'll be talking about the final episode of The Expanse. Dan, it's the final episode of The Expanse. Yay! Muppet, well, sit, Muppet yell, yay! <laughs> well, yay, and, and also cry, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's sad. Yeah, it is sad. I was about to say, Dan, that we're going to be done mm-hmm. with The Expanse forever, but there's reasons that that is not true. One. I agree. We're going to do one more episode. That's true. We're going to talk about The Expanse gestalt, <laughs> including the bonus episodes. And we're going to try to- The bonus gonna, scenes, really. The bonus scenes. Sorry. I, yeah, yeah. Sure. Are we going to try to tie up those loose threads? Are we going to knit them into an Afghan? What are we going to do? <laughs> We're also going to talk next week about, to put this gently, there are a few plot points that are unresolved <laughs> after we have dealt with this last episode. This was a satisfying episode in some ways, and in other ways, many questions remain. And we are going to address as many of those as we can think of next week. So it'll be a three-hour episode is what we're saying. It won't be three hours, but you get the point. I was going to say also, like, this was not a... Di- hmm. It's so hard to say how I feel about this. I'm, it's not that I was disappointed. It's more like it wasn't satisfying. But how many final episodes are satisfying? So so this is an interesting question, Anna. What is your, do you have a favorite finale? Like, do you have a favorite last episode of anything? I think Cheers. <laughs> I was going to say Cheers, too. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I thought I was the only one who flicked that. But, yes, when, when, when Sam just says, I'm the luckiest son of a bitch in the world and walks off, I just, it was the perfect ending. It oh, was. that is great. Also, I think MASH had a pretty I, good ending. It's sad that we're, like, going back 30 years for these, but they did. You know? I'm trying to think. The, the Americans had a good ending. I did like the Americans. I, didn't, I haven't seen the Americans. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. But, like, I didn't like the Seinfeld ending. I didn't like the Sopranos ending. You know, all the sort of big endings that we've had for cultural touchstones. Like, I haven't We haven't, haven't really... talked about it, and I don't think, I don't know if you've watched it. The Good Place also had, I think, an outstanding finale. I have watched um, some of it, and because, on your recommendation, I will watch more. But, okay. yeah, we're going to talk about this episode, and then yeah. we're going to talk about everything expanse right. on the episode after this and then we're taking a break yes and then we're coming back with space the nation season two <laughs> yes we're going to be doing uh, we're going to be calling it a second season i'm going to do a little bit of a touch-up on our patreon page there might be other things in store including a t-shirt contest t-shirt design contest and just you know we're going to try and see put a put a new coat of paint on the place yeah. You know, snazz it up a little. By zhuzh snazzing it up. it up a little, zhuzh it up a little. Yeah. Also snazzing it up a little will be our big splash in coming back, which is Emmerich Airy. Emmerich Airy! We're going to be talking about the oeuvre of Roland Emmerich, including The Day After Tomorrow, Independence Day, and Stargate, topped off with the sure-to-be-instant classic... <laughs> Moonfall. I, I, can't even, I can't even stop laughing when you say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. uh, yes, the, a trailer dropped this week, in fact, I believe we were, which uh, I don't know if the latest trailer dropped. And I almost texted it to you, Anna, because I was, I was no, laughing. No, you should have texted. What kept you from oh. texting it to me? I don't know. I just, you know, I've been busy and, and All right. stuff. I'm uh, sorry. We're very excited for Emmerich Airy, and I hope that you are too. 
And as we have mentioned in previous podcasts, after that, we're probably going to make ourselves read a book. <laughs> <laughs> it seems, yes. We recognize there's some, like, you know, it, it's like when you eat too much candy and like, yeah. I don't know if you have this instinct, but like if I eat too much chocolate, my immediate counter instinct is to like have the healthiest food I can think of. Yeah. It's like somehow yeah. that balances it out, which actually yep. is probably not the way to go. But yeah. It pr- yeah. Well... I think it. I think there is some logic to that. I've actually read about this because I have done it so often over Christmas. <laughs> like, there's, like, <laughs> there's like something like you're supposed to have protein after you have too many sweets. I think. Anyway, sounds good. This week we are going to be talking about, as I said, episode six of season six, the final season of the Expanse, and this show is entitled Babylon's Ashes, which is also the title of the sixth book in the series, and. This tracks pretty well with it. And as I think we'll discuss, it tracks so well with it that you are expecting more. (laughs) As a non-book reader, Anna, I will say that in that sense, I didn't have to worry about the expectations. This did satisfy at least most of what I wanted in terms of a resolution. It would be the way to put it. But I mean, I guess what I mean is that, like, when I finished book six, Mm -hmm. it was I I was reading these as as they were published. So... I finished book six and I was like, all right, I'm excited for book seven. Because hmm. I knew there'd be, because there's stuff that's interesting things happening right. that I want to know more about, mainly on Laconia. Mm-hmm. This, it was like, well, there's still interesting stuff out there. And I guess we'll just never know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know what? I am a fucking optimist, Donna. I think we might know. You know, we'll talk about this later, right. obviously. All but, right. like, right. you know, it's, it's a question of whether there will be future filmed expanse i guess yes that is true so in order to talk about this later we have to talk about the plot first uh dan (laughs) would you like to tell us what happened in this episode okay let's start with laconia monkey's paw yeah monkey's paw (laughs) so kara and zan's parents are beside themselves with worry which is understandable given that they're coping with one dead child and two missing children Kara shows up and apologizes for disappearing, but explains that she didn't know how long it would take for the dogs to fix Zan. Then Proto-Zan, yeah, that's what I'm calling him, comes through the door looking pretty goddamn creepy, but also asking his father for a hug. Zan's dad has definitely read the monkey's paw and freaks out. He grabs a knife and waves it at Proto-Zan. Dad then cuts Proto-Zan, but his wounded hand heals up like Wolverine. So, the dad locks his son into a closet and calls for soldiers. <laughs> Anna, I'm not saying that's the right choice, but I'm saying that anyone who has had to parent two small children wishes on occasion that they could make that exact same phone call. I assume you mean lock in a closet and call the soldiers? Yes, exactly. Okay, yes. all right. Yes. Like, not the dead child part. Okay. Oh my god, right. no! <laughs> what, what, what sort of... What sort of ghoul do you think I am, Anna? Yes, no, no, no. We occasionally, as parents, wish that we could call in, like, the military and say, yeah, I'm sorry, they're just out of control. Can you deal with this? You don't actually wish that the kid would come back with dead eyes? No, (laughs) And the ability to self-heal. Anna, I have to ask, and I'm... Part of this is the way we are watching this, and listeners, as you know, we, we are having these episodes relatively timely because we're watching screeners. Was it my imagination, or did Zan look creepier in this episode than he did in the previous he one? He looked a lot creepier, and he acted a lot creepier. And also, mm-hmm. I guess I'll just in, jump in here to say, Kara is old enough to know that it's fucking creepy to come back from the dead. <laughs> from the dead, yes. Right? She's not an idiot, as far as I can tell. And she's, no, like, what, like as, nine As her, as her 10, behavior will display right? soon, but yeah, she's right? not an she's idiot. Not like nine, yeah. She's like nine or ten. That You know what dead is. 
You know what, like, (laughs) you know, it's not fixable, right? Right. Like, so, and on top of that, so she does this thing where she's like, he fixed him, which seems like you should know that that's not the answer the parents are kind of looking for. No. (laughs) And then also they do kind of like, um, make him more creepy than he was which feels a little cheap to me but that was no i agree with you like that was like at, at the end of the last episode when he hugs Kara, i was like oh okay he's still a human being yeah, sure you know right like like I mean, you, maybe you, a little different but but, still, but like yeah yeah but like he still had empathy and he still had the things that you right. would want to have in a human whereas right instead and, it's pet cemetery Right. In in this in this episode, it's like he's literally, I think, like walking with his hands held at him, like, oh, okay. All right, yeah. Right. So right. Protozan wants to get out of the closet, but the parents then notice that Kara's gone. They hear her outside calling for help, and both mom and dad go looking for her, ignoring the proto-child locked in the closet. Kara, of course, was faking them out with her phone and liberates Protozan to take him into the woods. Meanwhile, Duarte looks up beatifically at the protomolecule tech orbiting Laconia, and that's the last we ever see of Kara and Zan in this show. Anna, I give up on this plot. I just fucking give up. I'm sorry. I- I'm no longer watching the show. That's it. I'm done. No, no, no. But in all seriousness, I get that this is setting up book seven through nine or the plot that is contained in book seven through nine. You have mentioned this before. Yeah. But as a non-book reader, I have to tell you, this all felt radically disconnected from the main plot, with the partial exception of Duarte, who really is not, he's only a cameo in in this sort of thing. And it's stealing valuable minutes away from the key characters. And this is not a minor point, given that this was already a truncated season. If this leads to more filmed Expanse stuff, that's great. But for now, I am very frustrated. What say you? Mega ditto, Stan. (laughs) Is our audience old enough to, like, know what Mega Ditto's reference is? I wonder. (laughs) <laughs> in any case, I, I completely agree. Similar reaction as a book reader, um, in part because, as I've said, I really like the plot that they were eventually given. Mm-hmm. So I feel teased, really. And also, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> just <laughs> because I, I believe that Dan and Ty have said they don't plan on doing more. Like, that hmm. that this might be it. And if that's the case, then, I mean, I guess, you know, it mirrors real life in that things happen and you never find out, you know, there's the conclusion, right? I'm Sure, that's life. <laughs> right, but, like, it, it, I, you know, I always think about that Simpsons line. Like, at one point, there's some, one episode where they're trying to find a moral in it and Homer just says, there's no moral, it's just a bunch of stuff that happened. And that's yeah. kind of how I feel about the Laconia plot. Like, I... It's not that I was automatically hostile to it. I was willing to see where they were going with it, and we'll see what happens in the future. But as it stands, it's it's the largest loose thread, I guess would be the way to put it. Yeah, it's 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 more loose thread for that Afghan we're going to knit in the next yes, episode. that's correct. All right, Dan, moving on. Let's get to the battle plan and the battle prep. So the powers that be, namely Avasarala from the UN, uh, the MCRN, uh, Kamina Drummer, and of course Holden, because yeah, he's always there, meet to form their battle plan. The Free Navy has apparently broken up into three formations, so after some petty bickering, it's decided that the UN tackles one group, the MCRN another, and Drummer and the Belters, by the way, Drummer and the Belters is my new band name, the smallest group of tenders and supply ships. Holden proposes a backup plan. 
The Rossi will do a hard burn to the ring with an old ice freighter, the Gian Battista, where a strike team will land on the forest moon of Endor and try to deactivate the ship. Wait, sorry, sorry, that's the wrong, wrong piece of intellectual property. I apologize. I meant to say land on the ring station and try to take control of the railgun. Over at the Free Navy, Rosenfeld has reinstated Philip to bridge duty and tells him why, because she thinks he helps keep Marco in good spirits. Marco likes the imminent battle and hints that he'll be getting more ship and more tech from Duarte. The Rossi gets ready for battle two, Bobby suits up, Amos decides he'll be part of the strike team, and Naomi and Clarissa patch things up. Clarissa learns that she has, quote, complex endocrine collapse syndrome from her mods, which explains her salt cravings, among other things, and has a prognosis of only five years, but doesn't tell anyone. Anna, there is a lovely little scene at the end of this sequence where the Rossi crew is eating Clarissa's home-cooked dinner, and Naomi admits that she didn't want to give Clarissa the chance that she gave Philip, but Philip rejected. I think this scene works, and it's a good example of what you can do in a finale that you can't do otherwise. What do you think? When we're trading notes about this episode prior to taping and and you had that comment about something you can do in a finale that you can't do in another episode, my brain kind of caught on that. And you're you're right. I mean, it has more resonance here. Yeah. Right. But it made me realize that one of the things missing in this season has been the Rossi crew just being the Rossi crew. Right. Right. Like they've always been either in a battle or recovering or about from a battle or about to be in a battle or exhausted <laughs> or exhausted from a battle. Like yeah. it's it's all which is what war is like, to be fair. Right. But at the same time, one of the things that you can do with a longer season, mm. you know, is let things breathe and see people in their natural habitat, as it mm-hmm. were. And I think this is the first time in this season we've seen them sort of just relax around each other. Yeah. So it did it did mean a lot. And it, it means a lot in the context of being the last season. It made me realize how little of Amos we've seen in this season. Yeah. <laughs> and every I think everyone knows how much I love Amos and West Chatham. <laughs> but we did see so much of him, you know, last season. So mm-hmm. maybe it all works out, all evens out in the end. I, I mean, also... I would, Anna, I would go further. I would say the entire Rossi crew has been somewhat... I mean, we, you talked about this in a previous podcast they've all been a little marginalized this season yeah compared to my like holden has been you know there was there were a couple episodes where holden really wasn't doing that much either and and i agree with you that that's it's been a structural problem maybe in the this season and and the way it's been compressed and so forth i don't know yeah i also think it's interesting and probably not an accident we've never seen marco break bread (laughs) with his crew Yes. And you laugh because it's impossible to imagine, right? of course. Mm-hmm. But it is just a part of who he is, right? And, and one of the ways that if we're going to do these polls of looking at Marco and Holden, mm-hmm. you know, is the two people that Naomi has loved, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, Marco does not does not deign to like, and, and it's the breaking of bread, right? It's the eating together that's actually the really powerful part of this. And it's a reminder that one of the big themes in this show is family. So... I also want to say that even though Holden cribbed his plan for Return of the Jedi, by the way, these in one of the Avengers movies, when Peter Parker says, did you ever see that old movie Alien? And then... <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, you ever see that old movie Aliens, and then they like they use the blow out of the airlock? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish that that had happened in this. Where like, <laughs> where, like, Holden goes, have you ever seen that really old movie, Return of the Jedi? <laughs> 
So did you Let's have that? Do that. I, mean, did, did, I, I, I was beyond my cue. Did you? I assume you caught that. Like you thought that same thing. I mean, I didn't think. I actually only thought of it when you mentioned it. But it is the exact same plot. It's a yeah. good one, though. I mean, that's right. what I was. I was going to defend him yes. in that it's a good plot in yeah. both right. <laughs> Return of the Jedi and here. Um, and, and it's one of the only good military maneuvers in this season i think you and i inexpert as i yes. may be have both criticized like what seems like kind of poor battle planning poor military thinking on the yep. part of like everyone right yeah to be clear this isn't just a un thing marco i'm still not entirely sure marco's strategy yeah yeah we're yeah, so, and this was actually a good tactical decision yes agreed. good tactical decision i think maybe they should have thought through a little bit more that there would be i can't believe i'm doing this but <laughs> That is true that, you know, the free Navy would start dropping people down on the planet. Yes, that is a fair point. You know. fair anyway, point. it turns out, okay, spoiler alert. Dan. All right, let's go to act three, the fleet battle. So the UN fleet thinks they've spotted the Pella's drive signature and engage. Drummer and her group target a frigate that's protecting a freighter. The UNN hits the Pella, but the rest of the Free Navy keeps flying, which seems super odd until everyone realizes at once that it's not actually the Pella. Psych! Drummer's group (laughs) fires on the frigate, but then the freighter starts to shed its exterior, and whoa, it's actually the Pella. It hits Drummer's fleet pretty hard, blowing a literal hole in the Tynan. She plans on ramming her ship into the Pella, but Walker beats her to it, colliding with the Pella amidship. On the Pella's bridge, the ensuing explosion kills Rosenfeld. The Pella is still mobile, however, leaving the task of stopping Marco to Holden and the Holdenettes. Anna, this was a pretty fast battle as these things go. Just a general observation. Uh, but also props to Kathleen Robertson uh, for making Rosenfeld a legit interesting character in only six episodes. I mean, I actually was sad when she died, which I was not yeah. expecting to be. She shone too brightly for this world, Dan. <laughs> or that world, as the case may be. Mm-hmm. I also want to say goodbye to Space Buster Poindexter. <laughs> this is Liam Walker, yes. You're like, uh, who is another character bigger than the screen time that he got. I got a little sad about him going. But also helped, the emotions helped along by Kara Drummer's clear reaction morning of, of yeah. him as well. I will point out this also is a, another one of the handful of good battle tactics. <laughs> True. The, the, Props the, to Marco. This was a nice piece of subterfuge on his part. You know, which is consistent with the subterfuge that he had pulled off in the previous season, which was audacious and successful. So, yes, that actually is is on character. There was also like a little scene involving Ava Sarala and like a junior adjutant. Oh, yeah. On the ship, which I found faintly amusing, but but not all that much. Yeah, I I mean, I I now that you mentioned I took note on it as as well when I was watching it. But at the same time. It felt out of place on the show if for no other reason than it should have been a character we'd seen before. Right. There was been... th- that guy was out of nowhere. I was a little surprised by that conversation as it was going on. Yeah. And that's that conversation, I'm sorry, is not enough to feel like you know the person, unlike some of the other bit characters that we've had. Right. On yeah, the show. that's entirely fair. All right, I think we have some more battles to go to. Yep, we got the ring battle, so let's go to Act 4. The Giambattista and the Rossi arrive at the ring gate. Space battle, and as quick as the fleet action was, the ring action is extended. Yeah, the strike team is on for quite a bit, yes. actually. Uh, <laughs> the strike team launches from the Giambattista in small cargo containers, 
Ana, if memory serves, there was a Belter attack on an asteroid in season two that was very similar, where they like launch from containers. I think. Well, I don't. Or was know it season it's, three? I can't it's, remember. It's. It I think is it's season the attack two. on. It's the attack on Eros. That's but right. I don't know okay. if it's a Belter attack so much as they're trying to like get the proto molecule, right? I mean, right. Like, I guess it is Belters. But it was. It's, it was it's Belters. Holden and yeah. Belters, right? It was Holden it's, and the sorry, Belters. Yes. Holden and the Belters. Another yeah. great band name. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I did, and that this is the thought I had then too, which is that that's that's pretty fucking ballsy. Yes, like, <laughs> yes, no, no, no. So this was they, you see, and it, it, the special effects in this it's a great tactic. Is, and that, again, yeah. all they say yeah. all the good tactics for like this particular right. battle. <laughs> no, it's a swarm attack. They launch all the uh, car containers, and then the Rossi tries to get Medina Station between itself and the railguns. It's a pretty fierce battle. The Rossi is hit, and the reactor threatens to scram, but Clarissa manages to fix things after throwing up in her suit yet again. On the ring station, Bobby, Amos, and just a few others make it, but are pinned down by fire. Plus, Medina then is launching reinforcements against them, so they're getting multiple fields of fire, and it's not looking great. Bobby, at this point, launches herself at the railguns and knocks them out with the missiles on her suit. She is then hit, and Amos covers her from attacks from above. Just as it looks as though they're about to be cooked, the Rossi fires on their attackers, and they're saved because the Rossi no longer needs to worry about the railgun. The good news is that they're all alive. The bad news is that they destroyed the reactor powering the railguns in the process, leaving them with little means to fight Marco if and when he arrives. Anna... We were talking before the show about whether The Expanse does Easter eggs. I think you pointed out fairly that they do. They fucking love Easter eggs, Dan. They love Easter it is, eggs. It is, it is not like a thing they do every once in a while. But it's... That said, I will argue their biggest Easter egg was easily... Oh, this is a, definitely... No, I will... Although the series Subway Station, I believe, in the first season has uh-huh. a bunch of them as well. Oh, that's Also, anytime they do ship names, like... Yeah. They use that as a way to do some callbacks. But this is... But this is... This is the biggest. This This is the biggest biggest. Easter egg ever, which is all of the names of the strike team members. And, And like, I caught this when they were sounding off and they said, Hudson here, Hicks here. And I'm like... Oh, that can't be a coincidence. That's got to be from Aliens. Right. So, Anna, how many did you catch? So, Duncan Idaho. Yes. Uh, John Anderton. Yep. The Alien Soldiers. Right. Like you said. So Ripley also among them. Vasquez. And Vasquez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Deckard from Blade Runner. Yep. Sarah Connor. Mm Mm-hmm. Riker from Star Trek. That's correct. Battlestar Galactica's Kara Thrace. Yep. Do you think they were read... Referencing Admiral Akbar, they were totally referencing Admiral Akbar. Yes, okay. I am it's quite just, confident it, of that. I will point out that everyone else is a soldier. Yeah, like, that's, that's one of the things I thought was kind of cool about it. Was at least of the people that I've named, and just just throw an admiral in there seems like I don't know if he'd he'd be going down in one of the cargo ships. Although Admiral Akbar, pretty gung ho. So maybe yeah, he would. and Akbar, like great, great character and like smart yeah. tacticians so like it's yeah. good. so here were the ones i caught as well roy neary from close encounters of the third kind he was the richard dreyfus character douglas quaid okay not a soldier i think not a soldier they, yeah okay so i, um, I maybe i was looking for soldiers dan no no, no totally totally fair douglas quaid from total recall dave bowman from 2001 Oh, okay. I want to also point out I did not do any Googling. For no, no, I didn't Google. I recognize that from the okay, get-go. Okay. Hold on, because right. there's a couple Dave of others. Bowman. Yep, all right. Jason Nesmith from Galaxy Quest. Oh. <laughs> Great. 
Johnny Rico from Starship Troopers. Oh, nice. Very nice. And the last one, I think, was Kevin Flynn from Tron. Oh, wow. You didn't have to look that one up? I did you not have to look thing, that one up. You know the character name of the guy in Tron? I Yes. I have very, There are a few areas on it where I know a little more about sci-fi than you, but this might be one of them. Like the names, those names all stuck with me. There is a small part of me, there were two names it, like for, that read as Shepard and then Buck, and I kind of wondered if that was a Firefly reference, but like that was, because that was the only thing I was surprised by. There wasn't a Firefly uh, Yeah, well, there's in there. like in uh, in the, uh, the ship list that I reference from my kid forget what season it is mm-hmm. that has a list of ships that has a bunch of easter eggs there's a serenity oh there you go so, yeah, yeah. yeah and i guess I, I told you i wanted to take this moment to kind of look at this not the series as a whole but point out that they do a bunch of easter eggs which i think is great yeah. and that in fan service in general i think the expanse handles it pretty well um it can be clunky in the wrong hands to do these kinds of Easter eggs and references right. and, and to, to put people, you know, in places where fans will recognize. And I think The Expanse has done a pretty, pretty no, good this job. was this was an incredibly well-executed, I think, Easter egg in the sense of, like, I knew the moment I heard Hudson and Hicks, is like, okay, something's going on here. But, like, if you had no idea what was going on, it would have been f- literally three seconds, I think, of screen time that you wouldn't have, it would have looked perfectly normal. So, yes, yeah. well done to The Expanse on that part. All right. All right, let's move on to Act 5. Bye-bye, Marco. Duarte denies Marco's request for more ships, explaining that he was a convenient distraction, but now he, like Anna, has gods to destroy. (laughs) (laughs) Philip tells Marco that Rosenfeld is dead, and Marco, frankly, doesn't seem all that broken up about it, much like his reaction to every death. They bicker, and Marco tells Philip that he's a child of privilege, or something to that effect, since he's Marco's kid. Then Marco gives his beleaguered crew his last rabble-rousing speech. Avasarala tells the Rossi that Marco is coming, but reinforcements are not, which seems like really poor strategy on everyone's part. Yeah, we're back to the bad strategy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Just going to say that. They debate their options, which don't look good, but Naomi figures out that maybe if they send the Gian Battista back through the ring, that ship, plus the free Navy ships, will have enough energy and mass to trigger the angry ring entities. Sure enough, they- It's Chekhov's angry ring entities. (laughs) Yes. Dan. (laughs) Which- I, if nothing else, I'm glad that came in because, like, there was so much time wasted in the first five episodes devoted to this that you knew that that at least was a thread they closed. And so I'm happy yeah. at least that that thread. If you, you know, put some angry ring entities on the wall in Act One, yeah. you got to. You got to use, use them in, in the last. Use them in yeah. Act three. <laughs> yes. And sure enough, they explode the Gian Battista. And just as Marco realizes what is about to happen and yells to veer off, the Pella is wiped out by the ring entities, and Naomi is wiped out by the thought that mm. she's killed her son. Anna, I found Marco's last speech interesting, not really because of what he said, but because how utterly exhausted and unconvinced his crew seemed to be. And in fact, it's a little weird because he gives this speech and then they wind up doing the Belt of Loda chant at the end. But I really thought that was fake. I thought they were faking it. What say you? I think that's a really good catch. I also felt that was an off speech. Mm. And in general, I felt like, you know, this was the detouement of of Marco. And it seemed a little bit of a, a whimper, not a bang, right? Mm, yeah. It's anticlimactic in a way that I think Marco would be disappointed in. Even That's true. Like, I, I will say in the book, this is the same thing that happens in the book. It's a oh. little, somehow I remember it being more thrilling. Hmm. <laughs> Seeing it on screen, it's like, oh, this is not a real cool part of a battle if you're just like waiting for someone to disappear. 
you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I think, you know, that's the end that Marco deserves. Yes. And it did make me think that this is one way that populist movements can end is with a whimper. <laughs> not with a know. bang, but with ring entities. <laughs> yes. Yeah, not with a bang, but with ring, ring entities. Right. Or to go back to your his less than, you know, enthusiastic response, the less than enthusiastic response of, of his crew people. It's interesting to contrast that to everyone else, right? And yeah. I want to talk about that more in the theme section. Yeah. Because no one's winning this war, <laughs> right? Like, that's one of the kind of weird things about it. Well, it, it, to go back to Return of the Jedi, there is no scene at the end where they're all doing the dance, and which is right. good. And I, by the way, that I'm, right. that speaks well but of the expanse. I just mean the entire yeah. season, no one's winning. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's like, it, it is very incremental. It's very just like... As it, you know, kind of a hit and run thing, and everyone there's there's reasons to be downcast for everybody, mm-hmm. but one side seems to be able to get its shit together and and to call you know people into action in a way that Marco doesn't. Mm-hmm. So, I think it was kind of a fitting end, if yeah. a, if a slightly anticlimactic one. And again, we've talked about the way that actors in smaller roles in this series have done really well. I will literally give a prop to the extras on this because what made oh, that yeah. scene for me is not, I mean, Keon Alexander is fine in it. It's, it's not a knock on Keon, but it was watching all of the extras react to him and that had to have been a direction and they did it extremely well. Like you really got the weariness that they all had, um, you know, from from the war. And so I thought that was very effective. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the last act in which Holden is Holden for the last fucking time. The Expanse Small Council is in session to figure out who will control the ring gates. Drummer is not happy at all about it being a two-to-one belter inner vote, and there is a lot of quality bargaining and haranguing with everyone making, frankly, pretty valid points. Holden points out that Marco tapped into some legitimate belter resentment, and that if it wasn't alleviated through greater trust, then it would just resurface. Avasarala at this point proposes an independent transport union, not the kind that Anno likes, but rather a sort of supernatural <laughs> entity. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Very disappointing. And I will talk about that more later. <laughs> yes. Headed by a nonpartisan figure like Holden. Miraculously, this actually seems to work, at least to the extent that everyone, all of the, the interested parties, go for it. Holden agrees. After Mars and Earth ratify the agreement, Holden pulls his last Holden, which means to say in his first act as head of the transport union, he resigns, leaving vice president Kamina Drummer in charge and therefore the Belters in charge of the ring gates. Avasarala is furious, but Holden convinces both her and her spectacular outfit. Anna, that was a spectacular outfit for that. Oh my that gosh. I, when we do our discussion of the season as a whole, yeah. I, I mean... Award. We should do awards. Oh, God. Yes. Dan, yeah. that's what we're going to do. We're going to do, do awards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And her costumer is going to get an award. Point being, Avasarala and her spectacular outfit accept this deal. As yes. the Rossi and her crew heads out into the expanse. Wait, Anna, I finally get the title of this show. <laughs> <laughs> we also uh, see that Philip apparently left the Pella before it entered the ring. And as he's in his little escape pod, changes his name from Philip Anaros to Philip Nagata. And scene. Anna, this show has never really addressed populism or Trump directly. I mean, a little bit, but not too much. But I really did feel like that last Holden speech pretty much. Well, not the last Holden speech. The Holden speech about Marco tapping into something was pretty much a a dead-on sort of Trump illusion. Do you think it was too on the nose or just right? I don't know if it was... I don't know if it was specifically a Trump illusion. 
Or a populism I, illusion, maybe. It, it, populism, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. And this gets back to, again, I hate to keep, we do this a lot on this podcast, I feel like, but we'll discuss more this more later, but that our circumstances shape our choices. Mm-hmm. And that it is often hard to say someone is purely good or purely evil, right? Like, everyone has a point. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. I thought it was good. It was a good speech. Mm-hmm. The one thing I kind of raised my eyebrows on was, like, they saw a few, he's talking about the Belters. They saw a future and they weren't in it. Right. It's a nice line. As a writer, it flows really well. But I don't know if it's you don't see yourself in the future. Is that you don't see the future changing for you. Right. Like, and this was, I, yeah. And I'm th- just being really nitpicky about about it. No, I could be nitpicky as well, because I still remember the first episode of season five, which is before Marco rises up. You actually see the Belters in a pretty decent situation. So, like, there was a future to some extent. But, like, again, this it's, is it, the neoliberal. Anymore. It's the future with no change or <laughs> right. with decline and with no guarantee. Right. Mm. Like, that's the future that the Belters saw is that we're just forever going to be under the heel of the inners. Right. And... And I make that dis- I just think it's an important distinction, but again, it's a, it's a nice speech and a good line. I did LOL <laughs> when Holden said to the proposal <laughs> that he be head of the transport union, there would have to be certain guarantees in, in writing. writing. <laughs> <laughs> Did you also laugh? I did, did laugh at that, Anna. I was like, whoa, not in writing. You're going to put in this writing, in writing? you say. Holy cow, whoa. <laughs> you know, although to be fair, I yes, the realist in me laughs at that. But but to be fair, there are international law people who would argue that I, if you actually I ratify guess, the treaty, I, that I matters, guess, yes. I guess, I guess. But what, my first thought was actually, I guess people still say that. Yeah. <laughs> but then also, like, eh. You know, especially for the belters, like, I feel like maybe they would be more cynical about the in writing part. <laughs> but I don't think, uh, I will say, I, again, nipping, I don't, when Holden said that, he wasn't talking to the belters. He was talking to her. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. like, it just, it, it was, I, I don't know if, it, I don't think it was intended to be funny, but I found it hilarious. Another yeah. thing that I think was intended to be funny mm-hmm. was Monica checking her phone during <laughs> Holden's speech. <laughs> And as someone who has been to speeches like that, that mm-hmm. he manages it to make it news, obviously. Right. But if you were invited to that speech, <laughs> you probably would go in thinking, <sighs> you know, like you've gotten the text of the speech beforehand. Right. I would say you'd be looking at the text, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you're just whatever. Like you'd be, you know, on Twitter. I assume there's Twitter in the future. I mean, mm. there, there's or something be, like right? that. With yeah, something exactly. Like yeah. And but, can we also say yes. I kind of knew where this was going because it's a similar thing in the in the book. Although there, it's enough different that I thought for a second they w- might actually put Holden in charge, mm-hmm. which would be disastrous. Like, can we like agree <laughs> that that's not the gimme that Ivasarala seems to think that it is? Like, <laughs> it's the political. I, I will say this: it's the political gimme. Like, I understand right. why they think Holden would have been appealing. Although I'm not sure why the Martians would have been cool with Holden, given that after all. I mean, he stole is, their ship. He stole their ship, which was something that Bobby <laughs> literally said. He didn't steal their ship, but like, he, but in, from the Martian right. perspective, he stole their ship. You know, so like, I'm not sure why the Martians would necessarily go on with this. But I think your, your deeper point, which is correct, mm-hmm. is that Holden would be a terrible administrator of anything. Yeah. And you know, like as someone who has tried to avoid any 
chair or deanship or other university administration position in my life. This is I I've never felt more strongly to identified with Holden in my life. <laughs> All right. Well, <clears throat> Dan. Yes, Anna. Is there IR in this episode? Anna, we don't ask that question. We say, good hunting for the IR, Dan. <laughs> but yes, there is IR in this episode. Yeah, I can, I'm going to interrupt really quickly, which yeah. I thought that would they, when you said that, yeah. I thought they might say, we say break a leg. <laughs> like, I was like, they're going to make some weird theater reference. Is that like... <laughs> Finally, the the Expanse slash Station Eleven crossover we were looking for. Yes, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> yes, good hunting. Yes, so there are many bits of IR in this episode, but I, the two that stood out to me is the first, and this goes back to this transport union, which is what would supranational governance mean? What does it mean now, and what does it mean, you know, in the future? The whole transport union idea is a sound one, but the question is how a truly autonomous interstellar body is going to function. So, for example, I'll just give you a little example here. Holden resigns. Drummer is now the president. Someone's got to take her place as vice president, and I'm kind of curious just who has that authority to do so. Does Drummer get to pick the vice president? Does the vice president get approved by Earth and Mars? If there's a vote, who is in the union? Right, exactly. You know, so (laughs) to be fair, this is not a knock on the Expanse writers. If they had actually tried to explain all this, I would have appreciated it. Three other people would have appreciated it and no one else would have. So I, right, I totally right. don't begrudge them on that. But I did want to know if the transport union, A, has guns and B, charges tolls for the ring gate. I'm assuming they're charging tolls. I'm assuming that I mean, any ship that goes through there has to pay the union a little bit. And that's presumably how they're going to finance their capability. Well, they have guns because they're also ex-free navy might have been free navy i mean we know they have guns they have gunships right i guess my question is do they have guns that they can control or are the guns provided from earth and mars it has to be whether they have independent guns is my point. yeah no i mean all power comes from the barrel of a gun dan <laughs> you don't say so they can't actually charge tolls unless they have guns right well, no, but I, can, my, I guess my point is they could charge I mean, no, tolls. But I'm serious, though, right? Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. But I am. They cannot charge tolls unless they have a way to enforce Right. Those my question was tolls. whether in in charging those things, do they rely on, like, the inners and the belters to provide the ships, or do they actually own their own ships? It was literally sort of that sort of thing, and I'm honestly— That's a little too much in—yeah, you're right. That's, that's pretty in the weeds, but I, oh, I yeah, agree I that— yeah. Yes, there are problems. There are problems. The second is war termination. Avasarala is partly correct when she says, and by the way, this was one of the things I legitimately liked about this episode is that you see Marco dying and like, I think that would have been normally the length of which a normal episode would have gone. And then they go right from that to the bargaining, which is in some ways the best point about The Expanse. It The bargaining never ends. It, it always keeps going. But Avasarala is partly correct when she says that wars uh, end at the negotiating table. And I was glad to see that the show did not end, as I said, like Return of the Jedi with everyone dancing, you know, um, as the Ewoks play on the skull of stormtroopers. That said, wars also end when there is a decisive victor. And the fact that there were no free Navy elements around the table is an important (laughs) one. And it's worth raising because it, it's that wars do end at the negotiating table but they also end at the negotiating table when everyone is acknowledged who is won yeah and that's not an insignificant thing and, and and then wars are more likely to end and stay ended when that is the case if there is like 
a just sort of armistice or what have you and no one recognizes what the actual outcome was that often is feeds you know the grievances that lead to the next war anna dan is there a critique of capitalism in this episode dan there was a lot in this episode maybe too much (laughs) but also not enough (laughs) i honestly almost texted you to say like let's not do the critique of capitalism this time (laughs) Except that, of course, by putting the trade union in charge, like they're asking for a conversation about this, right? <laughs> Do you think they were trolling us, Anna? Do you think they were trolling you? Me personally. Exactly. I think they were trolling me personally. I bet Keon, I, although he couldn't have done this, obviously, <laughs> but like, yes. I, I could see Keon retroactively say, can you put that union thing in there for Anna? <laughs> <laughs> I will say that drummer's objections at the table would echo a lot of what labor objections are to management. Hmm. And I also, of course, love the idea of a union being elevated in the way that the, 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 tra- the transport union was. However, ju- I mean, everything I would say after that is kind of echoing what you and I were starting before, which is like, well, what the fuck is it then? Yeah. Like, if it's actually really kind of a nation state, there's going to be lots of managers, <laughs> you know, and labor. Who is the labor? Is there a transport union union? And who is the union? Like, how do you So you're, decide you're saying union like it's like a, you know. I think that's how they mean it. I think of it as like, so like there's an international body called the International Telecommunications Union. That's an international organization. No, I think because this is what the, the show is based in labor relations. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that is So you is think it's a union are, union. I believe they are actually talking about workers. Interesting. Okay. Because that's what the, the, at least the genesis of that term there's no denying that. I guess what I would say is that, and I, I agree. No, I mean, I agree. No, I mean, I agree. That's not how they mean it right now. Right, right, right. What I mean, though, is that if you make that a, if you make the union the power, then you're going to have labor problems in the union. That's totally fair. Yes, yes. Right. Okay. Like once you make it management, it's right. <laughs> or once power, you create management anywhere, there has to be workers. Yeah, once you create management anywhere, there has to be workers. So I'm just, I mean, what does the belt look like when it starts to have its own class divisions? Oh, that'll be fun. Yes. (laughs) I'm sorry. The political scientist in me is looking forward to that. Yes. Right? That's kind of the interesting thing here is that Kamina suddenly has a lot of, you know, nice clothes and whatnot, you know, (laughs) and she's going to have a nicer cabin and the belt. And that she is going to be like in eyeshadow and she's going to have smoky eye in perpetuity. There's going to be an annuity devoted slowly, solely to her smoky eye. Yeah. And I don't know if, if honestly, the show means to to go this way. As I said in our last episode, I generally think that the show is informed by class consciousness and uh, the the creators really do think through the social, you know, and political ramifications of organizations, Mm -hmm. you know, like not just like individual sort of political actors, as you said. Yeah. Um, like one of the things that I love about our podcast and, and why this is such, we're such a good fit, Dan, for mm-hmm. them. Like, I hope that they realize that. <laughs> like, it, it's facile to like have Marco be the Trump character. That's mm-hmm. not what this show is interested in. Right. Right. The show is interested in the question of populism. Yes, that is a fair way. I'm, and I, that, I agree with that 100%. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think also, like, that's the way that they've looked at class, right? Like, it's it in and work and labor. So it's just interesting, like, it, it, I mean, I think they don't really do, there's stuff that happens in seven through nine that gets them out of exploring the question. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. Um, 
But it is kind of like you said, as a political scientist, I would love to see what happens when the transport union needs its own union. Yes. Which actually, I think, is a nice segue to our themes and quotes discussion. Uh Yes. Dan, what is your theme? My theme, which and this really is like you can only do this at the end of the, the series, is human nature. I wish we had more assets on our flank. It was disappointing that more belters didn't rally to the cause, especially after all you did for them on series. What we did was too little and too late. A sad story of our species. So, in some ways, this conversation between Avis Rall and this junior adjutant is a perfect one-sentence summary of the Expanse's view of the world, which is what could be reduced to in, in what IR scholars would call human nature realism. And it's human nature realism, which is to say that, that realists sometimes think the tragedy of international relations is because there is no overarching authority, no one can trust each other, and therefore, even though cooperation can be possible, it's always dashed, and that's the tragedy. Human nature realists, as opposed to those sort of structural realists, believe that the tragedy of IR is that cooperation would always be better, but human ambition, greed, pride, and short-sightedness stops folks from doing the right thing. And that therefore, you know, man has an innate lust for power, and that that is always what will bring people down, regardless of the the most idealistic of, of social purposes they bring to the table. And I will say that as annoying as Holden can be and has been at times, <laughs> and you and I have talked about Holden, you know, being Holden, in some ways, it, as a character in The Expanse, he is the exception that proves this rule, which is almost everyone else, you know, no matter, in some ways, Avasarala represents the sort of best realist you can hope for, but you really only get, like, successful cooperation in some ways if you have someone like Holden who can actually inspire um, and and I one of the things I like about the expanse I've I've loved about the expanse. You might have said this in a previous podcast. It has this weirdly optimistic form of pessimism, um, mm-hmm. and I would say that's a good way of capturing it, which is that it it is not cynical but realistic about the ways in which people behave and still think the cooperation might be possible, but it's really hard and it's really really difficult to sustain. Mm-hmm. I like that, Dan. I think that is a good, it's definitely a good theme to end with because it is one of the overarching themes yes. of the show. Anna, what about you? Dan, my theme, the thin line between heroism and egotism. You followed your conscience in the hope that others would follow theirs. You didn't do it for a reward or a pound the head. The universe never tells us if we did right or wrong. It's more important to try to help people than to know that you did. Take my station. More important that someone else's life gets better than for you to feel good about yourself. Now, that particular little monologue is from Naomi and it, it sounds like it's about heroism mm-hmm. and there's other moments in, in in this episode that kind of call out heroism but what I was struck by was the kind of parallels between Marco's speech which is a good speech mm-hmm. right that doesn't really work people are tired but it's a good speech yeah and then the the times not just in this episode but various times in the show when the good guys have tried to psych each other up mm-hmm. right those speeches sound a lot alike 
right? Yeah. And it occurred to me, especially since that Beltawanda chant was so lackluster, these guys, maybe they realize Marco's a, a psychopath, but they they think they're on the right side. Yes, you know? that is correct. And I think that actually, that's the point that squares the circle in terms of that scene. I agree with you. Yeah, they, they believe they're on the right side. And it's hard to say that they are completely on the wrong side, mm-hmm. right? I mean, each individual person. Marco is a sociopath. Mm-hmm. But in the historical situation that they're in, having been under the heel of the innards for so long, like, I understand why they think they're the good guys, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's one of the things that it has been sort of an overarching theme of the show, much like family, uh, you know, much like human nature, is that we don't always know what side we're on. We kind of just have to do our best and hope that it works out, which is terrible. You know? And terrifying. And terrifying. And that's actually as annoying as Holden is. I can't believe the whole show. Uh, there should be a podcast called As Annoying as Holden Is. Um, <laughs> one of the reasons he's a hero is that this idea that I don't know if I'm for sure on the right side or the wrong side doesn't paralyze him. You know, and he does just try to be on the right side and does what he believes in. I think a lot of us either approach that question with a certain kind of a blindness, which is assuming we're on the right side, or we're paralyzed by it. I think people are more paralyzed by it than they realize. And because people are generally passive, like most of us don't fight in wars. Most of us don't go to protests. Most of us don't choose an extreme side. Instead, we're like, I don't know. I I mean, could go either way. Well, and also, I mean, I go even further, which is very often a lot of people, and indeed, if you're commanding armed forces you don't want people questioning what side they're on or having that you know it it, a lot of people just sort of accept it unthinkingly and in some ways there's limits to what you can in terms of if you think about it because if you think about it you can go insane and it reaches back to bobby's little monologue to amos Mm -hmm. in the last episode which is in the end you you can't know what side you're fighting for right you know in the end you're fighting for the people next to you yeah Oh my gosh! It's the it's, it's the free navy pieces parts. Oh gosh! Oh, so many ring ends. So many, so many free navy debris. Oh, oof. Yeah, it's it's the debris field, Dan. Where we talk about the things we didn't get to talk about yet. Yes. What do you got? I got a couple of things. So first of all, I, not a huge deal, but I like the fact that in the original battle plan meeting, the three lead commanders. The UN, the MCRN, and the Belters are all women. And it's not a big thing, which is consistent with how the Expanse does this sort of thing, which is mm-hmm. it's there, but it's not talked about. It's not like there's there's nothing, there's no ribbon or bow put on it, which is in some ways exactly what you want. So again, they've, that's mm-hmm. something else they've done extremely well, and I've uh, always been impressed mm-hmm. with that. Small thing, what the fuck is Sandrani doing there in the last meeting? Is that also they a- They are in charge of series. Yes, which I think must be one of the biggest Belter outposts, right? Right. So I think it makes sense. I guess I'm surprised that they are still in charge of series. That was the part that I... <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Because remember, they give that huge firebrand speech, you know, claiming that the Free Navy wasn't responsible for the water tank explosions, when clearly the Free Navy was responsible for that. And then they go 
drummer in the previous episode. There's that little yeah. scene. And like, so I was just, I was surprised what they were doing at that table. I, I think in the grand scheme of things, it might make some sense, but it was a little weird. We might be thinking about it a little more than the people running the series did. Oof. So Okay. <laughs> um, and then two last points, really. I, I really did like the final shot of the the series where you see the Rossi from up close and then just as it literally sails away into the expanse and the music and the violins they had. I, I really like that. And then finally, I will encourage everyone who's watches this show. There is no after credit scene. So it's not like Marvel, but watch the credits because they did something a little bit different with these credits. I don't know if you noticed that on it. Did you? I was in a hurry to be able to edit the notes for this oh. episode, so I stopped the show before I saw the final scene. So I guess we'll talk about that in our wrap-up episode. Okay, we will. We will talk. We will just leave it there. But I will encourage our viewers: if you finished watching, where like they just go to credits, watch the credit scene as well, because um, something is a little bit different from the way they normally do it. Anna, what about you? What is your debris? We didn't get enough of Amos this season, but we got one amazing line in this episode. <laughs> no one dies with a full bladder. That just, it is true. Yep. And it is Amos. It is Amos to the nth degree. So that I really appreciated. And then um, I would have put in my notes as clean up on aisle eight. There's a couple <laughs> things that we've talked about in the past episodes that uh, are good discord companions uh, have cleared up for me so i thought i'd mention them okay duarte was not the war college guy oh was someone else darn it i apologize that's true it was sovater i believe was his name yes yeah, suaviter 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah duarte is we see his name which i mentioned when we did the wrap-up right. or the recap mm-hmm. um and because i knew that yeah he would be important coming on also mm-hmm. drummer and naomi have had a thing Wait, how do we know this? Like, I don't remember that. It from... is mentioned in Ty and the Guy, I believe. Oh. That, yeah, that actually the actresses playing them decided that they liked the chemistry between them. Mm-hmm. So they play it that way. And then the show runners decided that they liked it. So it's part of show canon, so even it's if it's canon. not part of book canon. Okay. Yeah. Which I, okay, I, I hate to even ask this, Anna, and I... When did it happen? Did it happen during the context oh, I don't of the show? Think, I didn't get the details. Okay. Like, no, I don't think it happened. In the con- I think it happened before. Before. Okay, I that mean, was the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. It happened like, when they were both like working on some belter Okay, that, the only reason together. I ask is that I've, I've, I've... Probably post-Marco, pre... Well, obviously, yeah. Pre-Holden, clearly, but and pre-Canterbury. Yeah. I guess the, the, yeah. I wasn't sure. Like, I, my memory on this was, was vague, but I wasn't sure if... I knew Drummer and Naomi became friends, but I wasn't sure if it happened during the show or they had already been friends. And I think oh, they actually—I'm very certain that it's canon that they they, they were friends known before. each other for a long which, time. No, which which yeah. would actually be consistent with how everyone's behaved. So that's that actually I feel better yeah. about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. One of the other details on that that I liked is, is again I'm getting this from the Discord discussion of of another discussion <laughs> um, that Drummer apparently is just kind of Randy, you know, <laughs> like she just. <laughs> She opens herself up to the universe in terms of in terms of relationships. Let's say that, like she she's she's ready for anything. Good for Kamina. Like, good for yeah, Kamina. Good for Kamina. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing, and this is not a big deal, but since you and I made it a little bit of a big deal of not understanding a, the raid on the Free Navy Depot, mm-hmm. it was a sabotage operation, not a theft. It turns into a theft. Oh. They were there just to sabotage it. Okay. All right. It doesn't really totally. It makes a little more sense in terms of how they played it on screen. Yeah. I think 
tactically, it should have always been a theft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but fine. I'm sure we made more mistakes uh, in this episode, in this this episode of our podcast. One of the things I like about this show, Dan, and, and I guess if people are listening, they like it too, is that this is not a science fiction podcast where we claim to know canon. No, 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 no. <laughs> nope. Yep, not gonna not gonna say that. Yeah, we're we're not the ones that are like, well, actually, we're we. This is not the well, actually <laughs> podcast, basically. But it's you, just we're we're fans. But the other thing, we know some stuff. The other thing that speaks well of is our patrons who clearly yes. pointed this all out on the Discord. And you know what, Anna, I, I'm just gonna say this once: you could decide if you're listening to this and you're not a patron to become a patron. You know, Dan. We usually talk about this a little top of the show. Let's do it now. If, if you have enjoyed this episode, now is a great time to point out how much we benefit from our patrons, not just the cash money that, that most of it goes to Karen. Our, our editor. Our, our audio engineer yes. and editor who makes us both sound smarter. And trust me, she makes us both sound smarter. We sound so uh, dumb in real life, listeners. Sound no, sorry. very <laughs> dumb in, in real life. I mean, if you could be where I am listening to Dan, you would just be like, he's a professor? Really? <laughs> like... So cold. But somehow. That was so cold, Anna. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, so we, we appreciate the financial support that the patrons give us, but I really, it, it, it feels silly to me sometimes. We always emphasize how great the Discord is, but it really is. Mm-hmm. And, and we get a lot out of it. There are, I'm not going to call them, well, actually, guys, in the Discord, but they're people that know more than we do. Yes about some of this stuff and some really interesting areas of expertise. We have veterans, we have architects, we have a toy designer that pipes up sometimes. Hmm. There are so many interesting people that are part of that community. I highly encourage if you haven't become a patron and you're looking for a reason to dive in, that's the reason. Although there is also other ones, including early access to episodes and our AMAs. And we're going to have some more merch. There's there's merch now, but it's just like a logo mm-hmm. t-shirt. But we're going to have some better merch moving on. Yes. If you don't know where to find us, we're at patreon.com slash space the nation. Dan, you got anything else to add? No, we're looking forward to next week. We will do one last expanse episode where just to remind you, we're going to talk about all the bonus scenes that were featured in season six, as well as discuss all of the loose threads. And trust me, there are a fair (laughs) number of them that this season has left us and maybe talk about where that might be going. Yeah. And until then, Keep this channel open for more.